0: Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle.
1: And if the woman is complaining of pelvic pain, for example, and they're not finding anything on imaging, on MRIs or ultrasounds, they're just being told, go home, you know, drink some wine, relax, you'll be fine. And uh, this is not the answer that you want to hear, unfortunately, and uh, women go home and they feel that there's something wrong with them and they have pain with intercourse, they have pain with gynecological exam, they have frequency urgency, they have pain when they pee. And it takes many, many months or years sometimes for them to get the correct diagnosis and get to pelvic floor physical therapist.
0: Hey, this is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We have an absolutely super important episode for you to check out today. The voice you heard at the top was Alina Fish, and she is the co-founder and clinical director of Action Physical Therapy. She specializes in pelvic floor rehabilitation, and we are going to have a really great conversation about this. We haven't talked about pelvic floors on this podcast in any substantial way for about a year and a half, and it's definitely time, and this is definitely the next step conversation. So please stick around, share this with Anybody that you know who has a pelvic floor, quite frankly, all of us have a pelvic floor. Yes, men, you also have a pelvic floor. I've had two guys say to me in the last, not too recent past that, oh, I men don't have pelvic floors. You do. But this episode, more focused on women, although she does talk about men uh, a little bit in there. I will say for you guys, though, the awareness of what's happening might be really good for you to know, because it may be affecting you by association, by the help that somebody in your life who's having pelvic floors may not get, the struggle that they're going through. So this is one of those areas that women have been really disenfranchised. And it's a conversation you're, you're maybe hearing more about pelvic floor therapy than you ever have. Um, I know I certainly am. I'm seeing it more in the general ether of the world. And it's really, uh, it's one of those things that, again, women are paying for us not discussing and our bodies not being paid attention to or being studied and the awareness is is starting to get there. But this is really important and this is not an episode for just women who have had children or just older women. This is also really important information if you are a younger person as well so that you know maybe what to keep an eye out for or how to stop things from happening in the first place. And how to advocate or to advocate, to know even to advocate for yourself. Like Alina, the clip at the top of the podcast talks about how many women aren't just told you're fine, live with the pain, you just need to relax, and totally dismissed. Talk to your lady friends. You might find out that you know many of them who have had that exact experience and have been trying to get help. Well, help is starting to be a little bit more available And um, that is what we are going to talk about today. So Alina is going to talk about what is a pelvic floor therapist? What are some of the things that we need to know or the things that you don't have to live with? So I'm excited for you to listen to this. I think it's really important. And I am so grateful that she shared her time with me. I actually didn't get to meet Alina. I was out in Pennsylvania for an extended period of time. I was looking for a physical therapist. And I made some calls and I was highly recommended to her uh, from another office. So I wasn't able to meet her because she was booked out past the time that I was going to be in Pennsylvania. So I wasn't able to see her, but we had some amazing conversations she knows her stuff. She's very holistic-minded and very smart. And she was brilliant with helping me through uh, some back issues that I was having as well. And so I'm grateful for her assistance. I did not get to work with her, but I did get to visit her office and work with another one of her practitioners and It was a great experience, super welcoming, friendly, and everything I could see. Super knowledgeable people. So if you are in Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania, which is where she's located, or if you know somebody that is, pass this information along. She is a a great person and it seems like a great group to have in your back pocket of knowledge in case you need them. So before we dive in, I first of all want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you for those of you who are supporting the podcast through listening, for passing on the episodes to folks you think might be interested. For you Patreon supporters, I am so grateful for you right now. Thank you so very much for your continued support. You are loved and appreciated so much in my world And I also want to thank Green Home Solutions, the advertising supporter of the podcast. Summer is coming, and that means more moisture. And if you know that you have issues in your home with moisture, give them a call. They have some great dehumidifying solutions they can help you out with. They are your indoor air quality experts, and they work with mold, disinfection, odor, and allergen control, And if you get a chance to look at their Facebook page, at least the Duluth Green Home Solutions Facebook page, you're going to see that they work with cars, that they're working with basements, that they're working with crawl spaces. If you've got moisture or some funky smells or some stuff going on, or you just need some help cleaning up some of those spaces, they are also there to help you do that too. They have some great equipment and a great reputation customer service wise. So check them out, greenhomesolutions.com. You can find them wherever you are in your area, right from the website. It will direct you to a local location. And if you are in Duluth, Minnesota, you can call Steve and his crew at 218-576-5293. That's 218-576-5293. And they will help you find the solutions you need. Okay, let's head on into our discussion with Alina Fish from Action Physical Therapy. Welcome, Alina. I am so excited to have you here. We're talking about pelvic floors today. So just to give a tiny little history of how you and I connected, I uh, am spending some time in Pennsylvania, visiting a friend, doing some cat sitting, had a back issue that I think I'm finally pinpointing to my pelvic floor. And so doing some research out here of who might I work with to get some more insights with what's going on with me and uh, called around and ended up getting your name from somebody who said, oh, call this person. She's amazing. <laughs> and then called you and you are happily booked out, which is great. So I didn't get to actually work with you, but we had an amazing conversation. And so I just wanted to share your perspective and just I I think this is such this is such an important topic. And if the more I learn about my own pelvic floor and the more I learn about this topic in general, I'm realizing how much women are not being served by having access to information and that there are people like you who are specializing this, in this and trying to get this conversation going. Because I just think, I think it's very important. Start out by introducing yourself and we'll go from there. There's a there's a lot of places we can go. <laughs>
1: Judy, thank you so much for inviting me and introducing me. My name is Alina Fish, and I'm a co-founder of Action Physical Therapy, and I specialize in uh, pelvic floor rehabilitation. And this is a a very underserved area. I think there's probably less than 1% of physical therapists that um, specialize in pelvic floor rehabilitation, but Thankfully the word is getting out and there is more and more and unfortunately also not as many doctors are aware of the fact that pelvic floor exists and what I came across during my you know many years of experience is that women who go to the doctors they complain of leaking they complain of pain and most of the time the solution is the medication for leaking wearing pads, which we really don't have to agree to that. And we don't have to wear pads between our legs when there is a natural solution. And if the woman is complaining of pelvic pain, for example, and they're not finding anything on imaging, on MRIs or ultrasounds, they're just being told, go home, you know, drink some wine, relax, you'll be fine. And uh, this is not the answer that you want to hear, unfortunately, and uh, women go home and they feel that there's something wrong with them and they have pain with intercourse, they have pain with gynecological exam, they have frequency urgency, they have pain when they pee. And it takes many, many months or years sometimes for them to get the correct diagnosis and get to pelvic floor physical therapist. And I have talked to numerous doctors and asked them questions. What happens, you know, when, when they examine a woman, do they actually look at muscles? And many of them are staring at me and and like, what are you talking about here? Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked to one of the gynecologists who I asked him, do you test the muscle strength when you examine a woman? And he, he gave me that, that exact look. And I said, can you do me a favor when you do an exam, ask a woman to squeeze. If she's weak, send her over to pelvic PT. He looked at me and I said, yes, and you will have less prolapses to fix. He looked at me and he said, I'll try to help you. I said, you're not going to help me. You're going to help them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, you're right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And guess what? I have not seen one patient. Oh. from. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And then the other conversation was with the other gynecologist. Do you have women that complain of pain with intercourse? And she says, oh, yeah, all the time. I said, well, you know, if you're not finding anything, can you at least refer them to pelvic PT? Because it could be muscles. And again, I have not seen any referrals from that particular doctor. And yet there, there are a few doctors who are aware of the problem and they're big fans of pelvic PT and they're seeing great results. So I think our job as pelvic therapists is to educate women and men because they have pelvic floors too, which mm-hmm. they don't think they do, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that there is hope out there and that hope is not necessarily medications, uh, not necessarily injections, not necessary surgeries for leaking. There's a natural solution and we need to take care of our bodies and be aware of what's happening down there.
0: A couple things come to mind even just you're talking about this. First of all, boy what a message of how much women, how much, how much responsibility is put on us to learn our own bodies. And then, yeah, how many doctors do you go to? Because I had been told, oh, you don't need a pelvic floor therapist. And I think sometimes some of the people don't even, yeah, they don't even necessarily know what that even means. And I ended up being sent from an osteopath to an an osteopathic doctor and I mentioned pelvic floor therapy and she goes, oh my gosh, yes. And I know just who you should go to. And she's like, this is something women don't know about. She talked about the fact that people are just uncomfortable, right? Like I come from Minnesota and, (laughs) and there's a lot of sort of modesty around not talking about some of those things. It's, it's impolite or whatever. And, you know, and I've talked to some people who have asked me what my experience of with a pelvic floor therapist is. And when they, even like you're saying, testing the strength, putting their finger in your vagina to, to test your strength, they're like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, we have all of these muscles. If you never let anybody touch you, it's like saying, well, my feet hurt, but I'm not taking off my shoes. You're not looking at my feet. Well, okay, that's not going to get us very far, right? And and I think we've been kind of trained into that and we need to train ourselves out of it because we need to ask and advocate and just keep asking the question and trying to educate, which is really hard to do to educate doctors because- they're busy and they, you know, they're, they're in their system. How do we do that? Like, do you have any ideas or ways that we can advocate when we kind of feel that pushback from whoever we're talking to?
1: Um, I think we should, we should go directly to women and men to, to the public and educate the public because I think they should know doctors are busy. You're right. And they have a certain training that they follow. And sometimes it's, it's really hard for them to, uh, to change their way of thinking because naturally they're thinking about medications and surgery first. And I find that younger doctors are a little more open to the idea of alternative treatments. And actually physical therapy is not an alternative treatment. Right. It's a conservative treatment. And there is no side effects. The only side effect that you can have is you can get better. That's a good side effect. So I think younger doctors are more open and we are having conversations with some surgeons with again, younger generation of doctors and they're pretty receptive. But I think we should spread the word amongst, you know, general population. Ladies, gentlemen, you should know. And which also leads me to what is pelvic floor and what the hell do we do in pelvic floor physical therapy? Because right. <laughs> there were so many times that when I'm having a new patient on the schedule, I walk in the room and I see a woman sitting on the chair, legs crossed, all bent over and scared and almost shaking. What are you going to do to me? Mm. They they don't know what to expect. And I say, I'm not going to do anything that you're not comfortable with. So pelvic floor, we're not really focusing on pelvic floor. So first of all, what is pelvic floor? Pelvic floor is a group of muscles that, there, there are many functions, but uh, to make it simple, imagine a hammock. A hammock that starts at the pubic bone and attaches to the tailbone. So it's it's like a bowl or a hammock. It consists of many layers or three layers of muscles and their main function is to support the organs, make sure they're not falling out, sphincteric function, meaning that you know it controls the bladder and the bowels, make sure we don't lose things, uh, and, uh, and the sexual function. So these are the main three functions. Now, we don't just look at the pelvic floor. That's not how the human body works. We look at everything. The pelvic floor muscles, they work together with the abdominal muscles. They work together with back muscles. They work together with hip muscles. They work together with the diaphragm. And actually some of your hip muscles, hip rotators are are your pelvic floor muscles. So um, pelvic floor muscles are part of the core. Core, imagine a closed canister. The lid is your diaphragm. The bottom is your pelvic floor. The front is your abdomen and the back is your back. That's the system and it all works together. So it is important not only to uh, retrain the muscles of their weak or relax of their tight, but to teach the coordination of muscles uh, with the breathing, with the core muscles, with movement, with functional movement. Uh, make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do at the right time. So it's not as easy as just examining, doing an internal exam and saying, oh, you're weak, just do the Kegels. No every person is different. We look at breathing techniques. We look at postures. We look at lower back. Uh, many people with pelvic floor dysfunctions have back issues. I've only seen a handful who don't. And if they don't have pain, they sure enough have weakness. Because again, if one group of muscles is not working properly, the other one is taking over. So there is a mu- muscle imbalance going on. There could be tightness. It could be weakness. And again, with leaking or with pain, there's no two patients that are alike. It's an individual assessment. And we look at posture, we look at breathing, we look at flexibility, we look at, we do a neurological exam. And yes, we go up there. Uh, We don't use any instruments, but we do an internal exam. And of course, if if people are not comfortable with that, that's fine. It's just a, a big piece of information that's important. Because sometimes people that leak, they're not necessarily weak. They could be tight. And if you start with strengthening, you're going to make things worse. So that's, that's a pelvic floor in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> so I, you said you don't use instruments. Now, one of my experiences was biofeedback.
1: Yes, instruments for examination. I should have been clear. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Okay. The biofeedback. Okay. The, yes, the biofeedback is, is a very important tool that we do use mainly for weakness. And their are internal sensors and their are external sensors. I tend to use external sensors for the most part. I feel like you know, the, it's, it's less invasive and pretty accurate for the most part. Uh, very rarely do we need to use the internal sensor. So the biofeedback, it's basically, it's, it's like taking a cardiogram of your pelvic floor muscles. It detects muscle activity. Now, biofeedback on its own um, is not going to give you a full picture. You still have to do an internal examination to determine what's going on with your muscles. Biofeedback detects the noise. It hears uh, the muscle activity, but it doesn't tell you which muscle is, is working. So it's, imagine walking into a room full of people where everyone is talking, and you hear the noise, but you can't figure out who says what. So this is biofeedback it hears the noise but which muscle is talking so if you're contracting your your glute muscles instead of your pelvic floor it'll show you a perfect contraction on the screen and it 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 does project on the screen uh, where you can see how well you can contract how well you can maintain contraction how quickly you can relax your resting muscle tone and it gives us a ton of information but if you're using the wrong muscle that's just the wrong information So again, it is important to make sure that you're able to isolate and contract the right muscles before moving on to the biofeedback. Now, with the overactive pelvic floor, with the tight muscles, biofeedback, if we do use it, and we tend not to use it as often, we use it to downtrain the muscles. Because what happens if you attach the sensors, you see a very elevated resting tone. That means that the muscle is in a spasm. And by teaching breathing techniques and relaxation techniques, we're trying to bring that resting tone down and improve person's awareness of what's happening down there because that's a big part of pelvic therapy is to make you aware that you have those muscles and you actually have control over those muscles. And that's the half of the battle.
0: I want to go back to what you said or when you're talking about the Kegels because one of the things that I'm seeing a lot out there are the like there's the the I don't remember what it's called but it's like a game so it's a tool that looks like you know a dilator or a dildo kind of thing and then you're literally playing a game on your phone using kegels so it looks like and this is what I'm seeing is they are the answer to everything and what you're saying is if you are really strong in that area, you know, you've got strong muscle tone in your kegels, but you're not, you're, your other muscles aren't firing, that's when your back muscles can get weak or that's when your abdomen isn't, you know, kicking in and your core muscles maybe aren't kicking in when you're doing things and then you're kind of out of balance. Is it, Do I understand that correctly?
1: That is, that is correct. And a lot of times what we see is overactive pelvic floor equals underactive core. Because the muscles work together. If one muscle group is not firing, the other one takes over. So if your core is weak, pelvic floor is taking, um, is, is doing overtime basically, you know, day after day after day, and then it becomes dysfunctional.
0: So one of the things you'd said to me when we first talked was that you know you say to women it's all about pooping, peeing and sex. <laughs> and which you know you've kind of talked about and but I think what I think is so interesting about that is those are all things in our culture we're really not comfortable talking about, right? And it's it's the core of everything that we don't talk about to learn how to take care of ourselves well. So I'm I'm thinking of just, you know, so let's talk about maybe even just the aspect of of bathroom habits and we don't even talk enough about it to know what's normal, right? And then if it's not normal, we don't know how to talk about it or it's kind of brushed over. That is
1: correct. That is correct. So let's talk about what's normal. And that, that that's, that's a very good question. So, of course, these are just general guidelines and and there are some variations, but um, the frequency. So, normally, you should be able to tolerate at least or or wait two hours between the bathroom trips. Two to five hours actually is normal. I always say, if you can watch the movie Titanic with all this water in it and not pee once, you're fine. (laughs) so so go and test yourself that's awesome (laughs) then um the normal bladder is um should be able to hold about two cups of urine before it needs to be emptied so you can take the plastic cups and measure yourself or you can count the seconds when you pee so um 10 to 12 seconds and i say 10 to 12 mississippis so next time you pee, count Mississippis. If it's less than 10 to 12 Mississippis, you didn't have to go. And sometimes we get an urge. and urge is not necessarily a signal that the bladder is full, and it doesn't mean that you have to rush to the bathroom. And I think this is where people get confused. Oh, I got to go. I have to go just in case. Or we call it jicking. So we'll stop jicking. <laughs> If you if you go uh, if you go on a trip that's two hours long and there is no stops whatsoever and there is no bathrooms I kind of get it, but if you go into the grocery store that has a bathroom and it's five minutes away, and you you don't you just went fifteen minutes ago please don't go, and try you can retrain your habits, and if you have that urge there are actually techniques to suppress the urge and that's one of the things that we teach. In pelvic therapy, how to suppress the urge if the urge is too early? You know you just went. You know it's a false alarm. Your bladder is trying to be the boss. No, you need to be the, one. <laughs> to be the boss. <laughs> so, so let's go back to let's go back to what's normal. Another common question is during the night. What's normal? For anywhere from zero to two times is normal. As we're younger, it's zero to one, and as we get older, up to two times is considered normal and uh there's probably not not much that you need to do about it however as as we get older things do change and then bladder sometimes becomes more irritable and more sensitive and uh, that's that's kind of another topic because there's certain foods that can irritate your bladder and make you go um, more often so yes again an urge it doesn't mean that you need to listen to your bladder. Uh you can you can do a blotted journal, you can write down how many times a day you went and then see where you are. But anywhere from you know five to five to eight times a day is, is an average.
0: Okay. So what about what about pooping? Okay. What
1: about pooping? (laughs) (laughs) So if bladder incontinence, uh, urinary incontinence, we can kind of hide it. We can wear pads. Well, we don't have to, but women do. And it is possible to hide. If someone has an incontinence uh, with their bowels, you cannot hide it because obviously it smells. So uh, that is a huge problem. And people do lock themselves in the house, if that happens, and a lot of times it's it's weakness in the sphincter, it's weakness in the pelvic floor muscles, it's poor bladder, uh, poor bowel habits, uh, constipation or diarrhea, things like that. So what's normal? To go to pooping anywhere from three times a day to three times a week actually is normal. Oh wow! But everyone is a little bit different. However, if you have to strain, if you have to push. Even if you're going every day, if your stool is hard and you have to strain to empty, that's considered constipation. Just kind of, you know, be aware of it. You should be able to go fairly easily. A lot of times constipation uh, is is a problem for people with pelvic floor dysfunction. And because every everything is so close in the pelvic area that When someone has constipation, it also affects their bladder. So constipation needs to be addressed, absolutely, when when we treat pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Another thing is that constipation often leads, to chronic constipation, to prolapse. So please take care of your constipation because as we get older, things get weaker. And then um, women develop prolapse.
0: So prevention
1: is the key here.
0: And you mean vaginal prolapse? vaginal
1: prolapse uh, or or rectal prolapse, anytime you bear down on a consistent basis, whether it's constipation, whether you have chronic cough, whether you have to do a job, perform a job that requires heavy lifting and you're not properly recruiting your muscles. And another thing that could contribute to to, uh, prolapse is obesity and uh, urinary incontinence as well. So those are things that we can control. You know, we can control our weight. Uh, we can control. We can strengthen our muscles. We can. We can take care of the constipation, and constipation, again, going back to the doctors. What do they prescribe? Medications, right? Right. And you know, in some cases, it's probably necessary, but in most cases, we can get away with natural solutions because most of the time. When I ask a patient uh, who has a constipation, if they're drinking enough fluids, they're not. So you want to number one, drink more water and actually warm water or warm fluids are better than cold fluids, uh, ice water, because that tends to slow down the bowels and the warm water tends to actually help you go. Um, So drinking enough water, making sure that your diet is low in, in uh, saturated fat because saturated fat can contribute to constipation and high in fiber so you can take additional fiber supplements or you can just adjust your diet so most of the time it's just that occasionally there are other things that contribute to constipation and they, they need to be addressed as well such as habits for example if, if you feel an urge to go and you're busy, and you're thinking, "Let me finish what i 'm doing, and then i'll go and then before you know the urge is gone that's that's a mistake. uh Drop everything and then go. Uh, you need to listen to your body so
0: so so it's interesting because yeah, for number one, think about how long it's been since the last time you went. number two, if you gotta go you got to (laughs) go kind of thing. So talk a little bit about for, for people who maybe are having a situation where they have a job that they can't just pick up and go, you know what I mean? And I'm one of them. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) So it is possible to retrain your bowels and kind of train them to go at a certain time of the day. It's like training a puppy. (laughs) It, It takes a while, Bowels are a slow learner, but it's, it's possible to retrain your bowels. I guess that would be the best solution for, for those jobs. Another thing that I forgot to mention uh, when we talk about constipation is what helps you go is if you eat frequently throughout the day, rather than eating, let's say, two large meals, because every time when we put something in our stomach, in our mouth, it goes into our stomach, it creates a so-called gastrocolic reflex, which, which basically stimulates bowels and uh, things that kind of start moving down, down the pipe. So the more often you do that, The better. So if you eat small portions throughout the day, you're consistently stimulating your bowels. If you're eating two large meals, that's just not as effective. Another thing that helps is is we teach our patients the abdominal massage to stimulate your bowels. And and that, that works really well for many people.
0: What do you think of things like the squatty potty? And are there other things that are just as good?
1: Squatty potty is great, and when when I bring it up, people start laughing, they think it's a joke, but it's not. because colon has a curve. and how do you think people were going to the bathroom when there was no toilet? They were squatting. and there is a reason why Mother Nature created that, <laughs> that need to do that because when we squat, the colon uh, the rectum um, straightens uh, straightens out and it's much easier to pass. Your bowels, uh, as opposed to when it's curved. So, Squatty Potty is as basically a fancy footstool that you, <laughs> that you put under your feet that makes your knees higher than your hips, and that that essentially does the same thing. Uh, it makes you pass your bowels a lot easier.
0: It's it's interesting because yeah, on the commercial, I don't know if you've seen the Squatty Potty commercials. Um, but they're pretty they're pretty hilarious. I mean, they've made them funny so that people will pay attention to them, but they explain exactly why there's there's value in it. And, and I know some people's complaint is that it's a fairly expensive little thing. And the nice thing about it is that it, you know, slides right under the toilet. So it's very uninvasive in your, in your bathroom. But I know, you know, I've seen some people suggest using like the little step stools and things that you get at the, right. you know, yeah
1: you could get creative with books or whatever right
0: <laughs> right yeah giving your body a little bit of an assist what other things so I'm just thinking of some of the things that we do hear about that are helpful for constipation like um magnesium or um there's various teas and things like that. And is there anything that's safe to consistently use for a while? Maybe when somebody's trying to figure out or get some help, but they know that they're dealing with it and they're concerned about. Or are there, and are there things we should avoid long term too? That, that's a good point. So
1: magnesium, there are different types of magnesium, and some uh, some types have a laxative effect, and some don't. For example, magnesium gluconate, it's great for muscles. But it doesn't really cause any laxative effect. Uh, magnesium oxide is, if you want a laxative, that's what you <laughs> what you should get. And milk of magnesia, I mean, that's that's your uh, that's another one that's probably fairly safe. What you want to avoid is is stimulants. Um, stimulants they do uh, they are habit forming, and as the time goes on, um, I, I think you will need more and more and more. So you you should probably avoid that. Fiber is absolutely safe to use long term. Menamucil basically is fiber; it's psyllium husk fiber. Uh, there are a lot of additives there that's just uh, for taste and you know color. But you can uh, you can Google and or on Amazon you can buy psyllium husk powder organic without any additives. Or I I know that Whole Foods used to sell it. I've seen it at Wegmans uh, at some point. I'm not sure if they still have it or not, but that's pure psyllium husk fiber with no additives at all, organic, and it's, it's very safe to use. Prune juice, um, wheat bran, oat bran, a combination of those, that, that's, that's totally safe to use long term.
0: And I like you're pointing out just that, you know, some of the things have a lot of extra fillers and stuff that you don't need. I just saw somebody making a comment of saying, you know, don't have the bran flakes, have the bran, you know, just take that straight up and put it on something that you're eating or if you can handle it, you know, and then have a a decent amount of water with it too. But that the more kind of the whole or less, more pure maybe is the better way to do it.
1: Yeah, the less... The less chemicals we put in our body, the better.
0: Right. And when you say stimulants, what do you mean by that? Like Senna, like Senna. Okay. um,
1: That's a stimulant. And that's a pretty common remedy that people use. And, you know, once in a while, okay, I understand. But on a consistent basis, I would just try to avoid any of that. And just look into, first of all, look into what's causing your constipation. Let's say you added the water, you added the fiber. Also, sedentary lifestyle, that's another one. You started moving around and you're still constipated. So there is a reason something is going on. I think you, you do need to talk to the doctor at that point uh, and see, is it, is it something internally that's, that's causing it? For example, some people with celiac disease uh, are having a problem with constipation. So getting rid of the gluten in the diet makes a difference for many And for others, it doesn't. Uh, It's very individual. So looking at your diet and and just examining, you know, what is it that could contribute to constipation? But again, if you if you check the diet, your diet is healthy, you're moving around, you're drinking water, uh, you're taking fiber and you're still constipated. Absolutely. You need to talk to the doctor and find out what's going on.
0: It's interesting to me because some people really seem to have, you know, they know those things. If I eat these things, you know, then I know that I will go. Somebody was talking recently about, concerned about a long trek they had to make. And they were like, well, if I get up early and I have coffee and I then I going to imagine that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that's like to have. That.
1: <laughs> Yes, coffee is a good one because it makes you go. That's for sure. If, if your body can tolerate it, you know there is no problem with long-term use. Uh, for some people, coffee can irritate the bladder, um, but that's another issue. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not having any bladder issues and it helps you go, by any means, drink drink coffee. <laughs>
0: Can you maybe mention a few of the things that do irritate the bladder, just so if somebody's having some issues, just to be aware of what they might even try or think about?
1: Okay, so there there's a list of uh, foods that that is considered bladder irritants, and um, why would you want to even think about it? So if someone has urgency, frequency, leaking, they get up many times at night, uh, you might want to look at the foods and try to eliminate them. Um, those foods that I'm going to mention in a minute for probably about three weeks and, and see what happens. If, if magically you're feeling better um, and a lot of times we start with muscle strengthening, let's say if the person is, is weak, right. And then we work on the diet in three weeks, your muscles are not going to get magically better. It takes six to 12 weeks to even start to notice the difference. But if you eliminate the foods, That's a pretty quick response. Uh, So you you would know that the foods are a problem. So acidic (laughs) foods um, like uh, like oranges, for example, uh, like grapefruits, alcohol, spicy foods, uh, artificial colorings and flavorings, artificial sugar is a big one, um, carbonated drinks caffeinated beverages yes coffee is included and chocolate is in there too <laughs> <laughs> so all the good stuff that you like right. <laughs> so these are some of the examples of the foods that could potentially irritate the bladder and also it's not a food but cigarette smoking can can do the same thing so uh look at your diet you're probably drinking. If that's happening to you, you're probably not drinking enough water and then you're drinking the wrong type of fluid. uh, And then you're consuming a lot of irritants. Maybe yes, maybe no. uh, But try to eliminate them for up to three weeks and see what happens. If nothing happens, there's probably another cause for your symptoms. I had a patient who you know, she was perfectly fine. There was really absolutely nothing wrong with her muscles and she was leaking and she was drinking six cups of coffee, coffee per day. Mm. So when I mentioned something uh, that this is the only problem that I see, she was like, really, this is your professional assessment. This is what I paid you for. I said, well, you know, that that's it looks like. it. <laughs> 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 and uh, she went down to one cup of coffee problems, one away. Oh, Wow. So, yeah. yeah. And actually there's, there's coffee that's uh low, in, low acidic coffee. So if right. you really have to have that cup, uh, look into that. Right. And make sure you drink enough water. So like yes. six to eight glasses is a minimum. Many of us don't even get that, especially as people get older, they don't tend to get enough water and we actually need more as we get older.
0: Well, and then if you're living in a drier climate or a drier part of the year, you know, I mean, I assume that affects everything too. I, in my house, I have like two ball jars that sit right by my sink and I just keep them full and keep them going. <laughs> just yeah. because I want that awareness that I am actually doing it because it's, it's an easy thing to sometimes forget about.
1: Yes. And if you, some people say I cannot drink water. It just makes me gag, uh, playing water and, and they, they put lemon in it, but lemon, you know, is acidic. So well, you know, it, 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 it can irritate your bladder. Let's put it this way. So it may not be the, the best option, but if you like teas, for example, peppermint or chamomile is a good option. Uh, green tea still has caffeine in it. Maybe not, not as much, but When we're trying to uh, clean up the body from all the irritants during the three-week period, I ask patients to eliminate teas as well, that uh, black tea and green tea, even decaffeinated. But herbal teas are fine, but again, read the label because you will see that many of them have artificial colorings and flavorings. So uh, herbal teas that are not acidic are totally fine. And as I said, peppermint and chamomile are good. So if you like those, then Drink teas.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's dive into, like you said, constipation. Constant constipation can cause prolapse, and so I want to talk about prolapse and get into the discussion around painful sex, which doesn't necessarily have to mean prolapse. Um, okay. So let's talk about those those two things. Okay.
1: So prolapse is is common after childbirth prolapse is also common as we get older but prolapse has four stages so it doesn't go from 0 to 4 in one day unless it's a traumatic childbirth and you know something happened usually it happens gradually and when you go to your gynecologist you can ask them your doctor to check you for prolapse because if you if you find uh, that there is just the beginning of the prolapse, you can totally, totally improve it with exercises and physical therapy. You can reduce the prolapse. Once it gets more advanced, then it's, it's harder to do something with it conservatively. Then it's a surgical situation. Once it's, once it's stage four, which is when uh, basically things fall out of your vagina and they're outside of the vagina, that could be your rectum, rectocele, cystocele, or, or, or your, the uterus. So um, that's a little bit too late. And usually it's hard to correct it with exercises. But when it's one and if the, the first stage, the second stage, it works really well. Third stage, hit or miss, you may be able to just maintain it. Or in some situations, it does improve. I've seen both. So it's important to uh, know what contributes to prolapse, and constipation is a big one chronic cough, bearing down. Um, you know, with daily activities. These are the things that that could cause uh, prolapse. And then as we get older, things things happen and tissues get weaker and we develop prolapse. So make sure you catch it early. Ask your doctor to check you for prolapse when you're going for your yearly
0: um, checkups. You would think that would just be an automatic, I guess, but I guess not. (laughs)
1: So how do you check for prolapse? You know, you ask the patient to bear down and uh, you can see, Um, you can usually see that they should, they should know how to do that. They don't automatically do that. And they also ask the doctor to check your strength and let's hope that they're trained to actually understand, are you strong or are you not? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can check your own strength too, by the way. And that's, that's pretty simple. Um, in a way, (laughs) because you can't really compare yourself to others, but (laughs) use your common sense. Uh, so you can, uh, you, you can insert one or two fingers into your vagina and squeeze. And if you feel the squeeze of the squeeze, squeeze is pretty strong. That's, that's pretty good. If you barely feel it, you need to, you need to see someone, you need to see a pelvic physical therapist and get your strength. Now, even if you, if you're not leaking, even if you're not having a prolapse issue, because down the road. Um, I think the majority of women have an issue. I mean, just look at the amount of pads that that are sold in the supermarket there's a whole aisle dedicated to pads in 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 the pharmacy. the whole aisle. you can only imagine the uh, the magnitude of the problem
0: so okay talk about because again this whole prolapse thing, like vaginal prolapse, and we don 't really hear about this, so you said there 's like four stages what Is it kind of the advice to women if you're starting to feel things that they feel a little different than they used to, or if there's painful sex, is that kind of a key, a place to start? Uh,
1: The beginning of the prolapse is painless, usually. Uh, Painful sex, and again, if there's nothing that the doctor can find medically absolutely see the pelvic therapist it could be just tight or overactive muscles but the prolapse initially there's there's no pain uh, but if if you feel fullness in your vagina if you feel uh that something is bulging there's pressure there is pulling in your lower in 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 the uh, lower abdominal area kind of pulling sensation um yeah that 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 would be an indication that something is going on uh, these are the common complaints that I hear from people that have prolapses. And if you're, let's say for the seal, if if you have trouble going to the bathroom pooping and you feel uh, that the rectum is kind of coming out and you have to press your fingers and, and push it in to eliminate, that's a prolapse. That's a prolapse. It's, we call it a splinting technique and actually that works, but if you find yourself uh, doing that um, then definitely do something about it
0: you had talked about people you know women going to the doctor and talking about painful sex and I've heard some amazing things that women have been told you know not just the the wine and relax but just almost that. Reducing the woman themselves down to being, you know, a frigid person and them not actually wanting to have sex. And that's the problem. When yeah. the women are like, no, that's not the problem. This hurts. You know, so many women walk away with with no no real answers. Um, and so, you know, what you're saying is, hey. There's, there's more information out there. And I think just the recognition that this is life altering for people, you know, not only the, the experience around sex and sexuality and your partner, or if you're looking for a new partner, how do you deal with that with a new partner or just the prolapse thing? I mean, things are different and women feel, you start to feel self-conscious or uncomfortable or how does this play out in my life with sex and sexuality? So Talk about that a little bit, because I think that's again that's something that women are often just so dismissed about
1: absolutely and 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 they they're told, "Oh, it's all in your head, go home relax you you'll you'll be fine, and you know you know that there's something wrong with you, and the patient knows more about their body than any doctor, so please understand that you know more about your body than I do. You know, I, if I, if the doctor sees you for 15 minutes or even for an hour, they don't have the full picture. You understand what's right, what's wrong, what feels different. So if something feels different, please ask for help and consider pelvic therapy because what can happen is, let's say, again, scans are negative, they can't find anything, but it hurts. So that could be. One of the potential causes could be the tight muscles or could be the irritated nerve inside called pudendal nerve. And we've seen uh, patients with that condition with the nerve being irritated and it's it's pretty painful. Um, so a lot of times the muscles inside are tight and that can totally cause pain with intercourse. And there is hope most people respond very well to physical therapy, where we actually go in, examine the muscles, and we use we do internal techniques and know it doesn't hurt, okay? We are not there to hurt patients. It's very gentle if make sure that the therapist that you're going to does an internal exam and if it's a pain situation that they do internal work because I've seen patients that went to therapy to the so-called pelvic therapy, where, there was no internal work, and they clearly needed it, and they did not get better. There were patients that were told to do Kegels. That's a big no-no for, for pelvic pain. It's going to make you worse. And if it, it is making you worse, if your therapist or whoever else, uh, the nurse is telling you to do that, which they may not even fully understand um, you know, the problem, you're getting worse. Please stop. You know your body. You know what's best for you find somebody else. So we go in, we work on those muscles, we relax those muscles, we teach you the proper breathing techniques, we teach you self-help techniques. My job is to educate my patients to take care of themselves, to better understand their bodies, to take care of themselves. And they're actually tools that are being used with pelvic flow therapy, for self uh, trigger point release, uh, pelvic massage tools, dilators, because at the end of the day, especially if someone is dealing is dealing with a chronic condition, I want you to take care of your own body and not be dependent on me. And once you get better, God bless, maintain it. Um, and I hope that with time, you know things get better and you won't ever need to, you know, come back for pelvic therapy. If, if you do things properly, uh, one of the common conditions that we see, and that's another one um, that's probably not being talked a lot about is called interstitial cystitis. And interstitial cystitis is basically the symptoms are of a bladder infection, urgency, frequency, pain with urination, um, and when they do uh, when they do tests, um, the urine test, everything comes back negative, time after time after time. So this is uh, an autoimmune condition where your bladder, for many different reasons, becomes irritated and inflamed, and it behaves like an infection, but it's not. But whenever someone has constant pain in the area of the body, whether it's your pelvis or your neck the muscles around that area tend to tighten up. And now not only you have the bladder issue, you have the tight muscles that contribute to pain and they're making things a lot worse. By working on the muscles, by relaxing those muscles and uh, teaching, uh, teaching the diet, teaching the bathroom techniques and other things, we can make a huge difference in someone's life. Interstitial cystitis is being undiagnosed for many women, and there's only a handful of doctors that know about this condition, and yet there's so many people that suffer with it. So if you have exactly those symptoms that I mentioned, symptoms of a bladder infection, but your urinalysis comes back clear, please look for a doctor who knows about interstitial cystitis. There's certain medications that could be used, and, and some people choose to do that, which is fine. Um, and in the beginning, it might be necessary just to calm things down. But in many cases, uh, as people get better, they they stop taking medications and they just continue with either physical therapy or self self care techniques.
0: One of the things that I want to ask you about, because again, I'm I'm seeing this a little bit more. For instance, I just saw a informational piece on somebody doing pelvic floor work and they were talking about botox and vaginal steams and those types of things. Are those those seem well are there legitimate reasons for that or is that kind of Hollywood? Uh
1: I think that's more Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's my personal opinion. Okay, so.
0: I just I like I said I know I'm seeing more and I'm I'm like like with the toys that are very very Kegel focused I. I am first learning because kegels kind of have been the one thing, the one thing you hear about that you should be doing, you should be doing a lot of them and you can do them all the time and you can do them without any, anybody knowing. And then to hear people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're over kegeling and the rest of your muscles aren't firing, you're going to have a whole nother set of issues. And okay. so it's not just a simple answer because it looks fun and it looks easy and it's sellable. And I just want women to understand that it, it might be too good to be true and it might not be their issue at all. So if it, if it Absolutely. doesn't work, if it makes them feel worse, please keep looking for answers.
1: Right. And, and also um, 40% of women are not doing Kegel correctly. So can you what talk are about you doing? And yes, uh, it, you know, they're bulging instead of contracting, they're engaging the wrong muscles. So if you're doing that, you're not really helping yourself. That's number one. Number two, Let's say there's an exercise program, one, one size fits all. If you go to the gym, how would you feel if everyone was doing the same thing, you know, the same weight, whether you're strong, whether you're weak, and same repetitions? No, it doesn't work this way. It has to be personalized. So that's why you kind of need to understand your strength, your endurance, and then uh, basically tailor your program. Let's say you are legitimately weak. It's not the tightness situation. You need to strengthen your muscles so, there are two types of kegels that we do. We do the quick ones and and the uh the long ones uh the sprinters and the marathoners I call them because there are two types of muscle fibers that uh, are in the pelvic muscles the slow twitch uh these are your marathoners, your endurance muscles, and the fast twitch. These are your sprinters so uh there's seventy percent marathoners and thirty percent sprinters, the muscles. And uh, they're also postural muscles in a way. So most postural muscles are marathoners because you should be able to maintain your posture for an extended period of time throughout the day because you, if you have strength but no endurance, that's not going to get you anywhere. So endurance training is important. So just quick squeezes is not enough. You need to know how many seconds can you hold without losing that strength? How many times can you repeat that exercise before you get tired, um, in what position would you should you do the exercise, laying down, sitting, standing? You should know that because if you're weak, that's one thing. If you're strong, that's completely different. So that's why it has to be individualized. And again, pelvic muscles or kegels, when you do kegels, you need to coordinate it with breath. You need to coordinate it with your uh, transverse abdominus, which is your deep core muscle that supports your spine. So if you have proper, proper coordination, that's a win. If you're just squeezing, you know, your muscles, uh, whenever you think about it, it might possibly help. But for most people, it doesn't. And I hear this over and over patients who I see. Oh, I've tried it. It didn't work. Well, how many times did you do it? Ten? Ten what? Ten a day? Yeah, well, that's not going to work. You need to do more. And and then again, if you're doing it in the wrong position, let's say if you're doing that um, in seated seated position, and you're very weak, you just it's just not effective. You need to start laying down. When your muscles are weak, you need to start laying down because it's a lot easier for pelvic muscles to contract. As you get stronger, then you can do it in the vertical position. And and here's one tip. So how do you know if if you can do those exercises in the vertical position. You need to check if your muscles have the anti-gravity function. How do you check that? Next time you go to the bathroom, try to stop pee, uh, peeing in the midstream. If you're able to completely stop, then you do have an anti-gravity function, and then you can do the exercises sitting or standing. If you cannot then you should probably be doing exercises laying on your back, on your side, on your stomach, but in the horizontal position. So that's just a quick tip. Another another, uh, myth that I hear a lot is, oh, I was told to uh, practice Kegels when I pee. Please don't do that because you're messing with the normal bladder reflex. You should not be doing Kegels while you're peeing. When you pee, please pee, focus on peeing. (laughs) When you Kegel, do the Kegels, focus on that. These are two different things.
0: So like when you're saying that the whole purpose is then to really let your body relax when you're peeing and just let things go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And and the restroom comes, I guess, uh, from the word rest. And we as women, (laughs) we tend to rush things because we have many things that we're thinking about. We're doing a grocery list. We're not really focusing on the process. We're thinking of things that we need to do. Um, so what you need to do is when you go to the bathroom, sit, relax, and focus on your bladder and let things come out. Um, and, uh, try not to think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> if that's ever possible. <laughs>
0: You've talked a little bit about like, what's normal with peeing? What's a normal amount of time a person maybe should consider spending, you know, in the bathroom going number two? And does there, like, is there a time frame we should be paying attention to if things aren't happening? Is that a concern? Okay,
1: right. So if things aren't happening, let's say you, you have an urge, you sit on the toilet, things aren't happening, and you're using your breathing, you're using a your squatty potty. And you feel that something is there, but it's not coming out. And then it's been ten minutes. Get up, get up. Yeah, enough. Uh, let's wait to the next next time you feel that urge. It's not good to to sit in the bathroom for you know a long period of time. And I know some people are reading magazines. Not a good habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, really focus on what you're doing. And if it's not happening, get up. Ten minutes.
0: Okay. Okay. It's, yeah, I mean, again, these are things we don't necessarily hear about, or we hear about these sort of edges, but we don't really understand how maybe important they are. And I think that's, you know, when I think of like you're saying with constipation causing prolapse and things like that, when you first, when nobody talks to you about those things until they're a problem, again, I think it just highlights how women's health uh, is something that we don't get enough information about. I mean, there's so much information, but it's so often it's focused around making us beautiful or thin or attractive or whatever, that it's not about our functions and we respond emotionally very much to those functions. So
1: that is true. And we really need to take care of ourselves. And after giving childbirth, I think every woman should have an assessment by a pelvic therapist, Absolutely, because those poor muscles. There's even if you had a C-section, there's pressure, uh, pressure on the pelvic muscles from the baby. And then if you had a vaginal delivery, there's tears, episiotomy. You know, what do you think is happening? There's a lot of trauma. The muscles are stretched, overstretched. Um, they need to go back to normal. So once, like after six weeks, usually once things heal, you should probably go for an assessment not only for your pelvic muscles, but many women develop diastasis recti and uh, that doesn't close right away, or it doesn't close and they have back pain and, and they're carrying their babies and they're leaking. That's not, that's, that happens a lot, but that's not normal. And we don't have to agree to that. It can be fixed. Another thing is that I think we have a lot of pressure from our society to go back to normal very quickly, start exercising. And we see that a lot in post with postpartum women where they start exercise and they're just not able to gain strength. They cannot go back to running. Muscles feel weak and they feel very frustrated. And it's been six months postpartum. Ladies, it takes time. It takes up to two years for the body to go back to normal and it needs some retraining. So if things are not happening naturally, please ask for help and you should go and see pelvic therapist because again, your abdominal muscles, your back muscles, your pelvic floor muscles, they all work together and you need to get this coordination going. And absolutely you will be back to normal with, with proper guidance.
0: It's Yeah, I'm thinking of how many things are kind of like, well, this is just what happens after you have a baby, all of these things just or, you know, it's aging and and all of those things that we just kind of accept or are told to accept instead of saying, you know, no, and there's options, there are things that that can be done. And the, the body, yes, the body does do a lot of amazing things in, in taking care of itself. But I have read that in, I think some of the European countries that that's just part of your treatment plan. Like, I mean, when you're, you have a baby, then you go see a pelvic floor therapist to help your kind of. Get everything back in line, and yeah, get those muscles working. I mean, you just had a kid, this little being grew inside you, mushed all of your bits and pieces and your organs together and out of place and in different places and stretched everything out. It seems reasonable to me that it's going to take a little bit of of time, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And I
1: think we should we should do the same thing. After having a baby, every woman should see a pelvic therapist. I, I agree with you. I think it's a great idea. And I don't know which country is doing that. I heard it might be France, but I could be off. But it's 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 a great great idea.
0: I remember reading something when I started learning about pelvic floor therapists that that other countries. I mean, it's so interesting when we look at some of the other countries, and and what treatments in in other countries are just normal you know i mean you know down to like probiotics and and how when in other countries if you're given an antibiotic they also give you a prescription or a bottle of probiotics to get your gut back in order because, well, we've just destroyed everything and now we need to rebuild it. And here we go, oh, that's, that's hokum, you know, <laughs> that's just somebody yeah. trying to sell that. They're looking, well, well here's the logical science behind that.
1: <laughs> right, right. And we're eating antibiotics like candies, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's no wonder we don't, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that our guts are 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 kind of messed up. And again, that's something that, we don't often look at. So yeah, something you, you had talked about. I'm thinking if a person kind of tries to go through their process and thinking about their food and adding in their fiber and not, figuring it out like they just feel like they're not getting an answer you know I know my body is one of those bodies where I uh, like I say some people they add in a little bit of fiber and then everything just works like a charm and I'm like okay more fiber only cooked vegetables coffee does nothing for me hot spicy food does nothing for me um and keeping things moving you know which other people seem to respond to Mm -hmm. what is the next step for somebody if you have any tips for that,
1: well, you mentioned probiotics. Probiotics is a good idea. Again, if, if there's nothing medically wrong, I, I would see gastroenterologist at that point and just to make sure it could be a slow transit time, uh, where things are just moving uh, slowly down, you know, down the pipe, and there are causes for that. But you know, see the gastroenterologist if they can't find anything. Uh, I would probably try different probiotics. And see if if that would help. Because it could be just the dysbiosis going on, and that can cause either diarrhea or constipation.
0: I do want to touch a little bit on men's pelvic floors, because I have certainly heard, like you said, I've heard men say, Oh, you know, I'm I'm a dude, I don't have one of those. That's like, no, wait a minute, you do. But the problems or the issues that they have would seem to be They could be very, very different. You know, is there anything that men should be looking for when it comes to back pain or things like that that might let them know, hey, this might be where this is coming from for you?
1: Well, uh, good news is that men have pelvic floor as well. And actually, it's, it's a very, very similar to the female pelvic floor. They have almost the same muscles with some minor variations and they have all the same symptoms. Um, I've seen frequency, urgency. They have leaking as they get older. They have leaking after prostate surgery. They have pelvic pain from overactive muscles. They also have interstitial cystitis. Um, so for men, a common complaint is, um, for example, for the overactive pelvic floor, you feel like you're sitting on a golf ball. Um, I've I've heard that a lot. Um, So they have very, very similar problems. They don't have prolapse, but they have pretty much everything else. So, again, same situation. See the urologist, if they're not finding any problems, then probably do a physical therapy assessment, uh, pelvic physical therapy assessment, because we can help. We can help, absolutely.
0: Is there anything else that you want to put out there, either in a preventative way or just, you know, anything else we haven't talked about that people should, should be aware of?
1: I, I think we covered a lot of things today and there's a lot of information. Uh, the, the main thing that I wanted to say is uh, please take care of your bodies. If something doesn't feel right, look for help. Look for answers. Trust yourself if the doctor tells you that uh, there's nothing wrong with you and you know something is going on, get another opinion and uh, you know get, go to a pelvic physical therapist. Let us do an assessment. And by the way, in many states, including Pennsylvania now, we do not need a prescription anymore um, for the first 30 days. So we can absolutely do the assessment and tell you, is this a pelvic floor issue or is it not? Uh, because if it's not, then obviously you need to keep digging and looking for answers, but it could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, many doctors are not educated on, they don't even know that pelvic floor physical therapy exists. And when I, we talk to them, uh, they, they're like, you do what? With the eyes going really <laughs> wide. <laughs> uh, so uh, you have to be your own advocate after having a baby go for an assessment absolutely we can help we can get you back to normal a lot faster so you don't have to figure this figure this out on your own as you get older as women hit menopause and things start to change we can help for for those that are having back pain for example and or hip or sacral leg joint pain and Uh, You've been through therapy and it's just not working. Well, maybe the regular physical therapy did not address that part of your body. So maybe go to a pelvic floor physical therapist who can put it all together, not just your back, but back and pelvic floor coordination, because pelvic floor muscles also provide a lot of stability uh, for for the back, for, for the pelvis, and that's the foundation for your back. So addressing those muscles is important.
0: And as we age, and as we have balance issues, and all of those things, the pelvic floor comes into play.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, one question I was going to ask you, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've heard a little bit about estrogen cream. Do you have any knowledge or opinions about that? And if that's a good thing? Or is that something you go through a doctor to talk about?
1: I think, I think that's a doctor's decision. Uh, but estrogen cream helps... Many women, and um, I know it's not as, I guess, dangerous if it's applied locally. Okay. Uh, and for some people with interstitial cystitis, it could be a game changer. For others, it's not. Um, so it's very individual. I'm not against it if it helps. So, yeah, and you should talk to the doctor about it.
0: How do people find you or if you have some additional resources that you want to toss out there, too, of just people being able to get good, solid information? um, Feel free to toss those out. But also, how do people connect with you?
1: So uh, our practice is in uh, Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. It's called Action Physical Therapy. And uh, you can go on our website, www.actionphysicaltherapy.com and uh, uh, find us there and the phone number is 215-947-3443 and we have it's it's me and there there's there are other therapists who are actually trained in pelvic floor rehabilitation now if you are not local to this area uh, go to herman and wallace pelvic rehabilitation institute a website and they have a list of providers that took the training through Herman and Wallace. And that's where I got my training. That's a really good school. um, And uh, you should be able to find someone who's close to you.
0: Okay. That's good to know for sure. A a resource of, of good folks to check out. And I would say, you know, if you don't find someone in your area, you might check back because I know in, in Duluth, um, where I live, you know, we went from having nobody to having like two people to now I'm hearing we've had, we've added like three or three or so more. So, you know, it's getting out there. It's getting it's recognized. Getting out there. And yeah. thank God,
1: yes, it's getting out there. It's getting more known. And, uh, yeah, we're spreading the word. And I think the more the merrier. We really need help in that, in that direction. And we need to be more open talking about it.
0: Yeah. Yes. The openness is huge. And you know, one thing that I guess I would say even from a personal perspective if you're looking for learning more about this or finding somebody, you know, if you know somebody who's been to one, ask them who they went through as a doctor if you need a referral in your area. And there, you know, I mean, in my area, we have some people who are through the system where you need a referral and some are just, they're on their own doing their own thing that you can go see. Um, but asking somebody who they talk to, because, you know, getting a doctor who understands, when I got my referral, I went to the doctor who I had been told, go to this person. She understands pelvic floor therapy. And I just said pelvic floor therapy. And she was like, oh my gosh, yes. And here's why. And and it was just such a different conversation. So I think that's, um, that can be really important for people to just, you know, when you're, especially if people aren't comfortable with it, or they're not sure, trying to make that conversation easier with somebody that does understand is really helpful.
1: Yes, and uh, the urogynecologists, they, they typically, they know about pelvic floor physical therapy and they, and they frequently refer to pelvic floor physical therapy. So if you're looking for a specialist who might give you some answers, um, uh, look for a urogynecologist. There's some urologists and there's some gynecologists, of course, that know, uh, but urogynecologists typically are very well aware of pelvic floor dysfunction.
0: Okay. I have never even heard of a urogynecologist before. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a combination <laughs> of the two. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Good to know. Well, thank you so much. Sure. <laughs> for- and being able to to share the the information and this conversation. Cause I just, I think it's something we need to keep talking about and learning about getting comfortable with and, um, and learning how to take care of our bodies. Again, I think we get a lot of confused information that doesn't <laughs> pun intended, that doesn't get to the core of, <laughs> of our bodies and our actual bodies needs. You know, a lot of our health, it's like when we think about health and wellness and, losing weight, quote unquote, right? Like it's often targeted how we look, not the actual health of our body. And this is one of those things that, you know, it's our physical health, it's our emotional health, it's, it's hard to talk about. So it makes it even more toll taking on our emotional health. So the more we can talk about it, the more we can learn about it and get comfortable with it, the more it becomes normalized. And the more maybe, more you end up having more people in your area because there's more of a demand or just people are smarter and they're asking and sometimes you know then they have to supply the demand yeah
1: absolutely and and thank you so much for inviting me and i'm glad that we're able to talk about it and spread the word
0: yes yes thank you so much for being willing because i think this is so it's so good and i'm so sad that i didn't get to work with you while i was here but i'm so glad that i met you so this is great Thank you again. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some amazing things out of this conversation. You can find more episodes of the Wellness Renaissance podcast at wellnessrenpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Music credit for this episode is from Synthetic Universe, an album by Brent A. Ryland and John Lyle. Intro music sampled from Ethereal Float and parting music sampled from Pleiadian Sky. Take good care of yourself. I look forward to talking to you again soon. And may you continue to find pieces that fit and support you beautifully in your health and wellness puzzle. See you later.